Welcome to the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. My name's Kevin Ray. I'm here with our executive producer and co-host, Mark Griffith. We want to welcome you into the Housing Hour. We're so happy that you joined us, and we hope that we can provide some value to your weekend. And I really appreciate all of our listeners, and we want to tell you how to plug in with us as well. Um, you can, of course, show uh, share this show um, at thehousinghour.com. That's where you will find all of our past shows. You can listen live. You can download our app. You can do many different things, communicate with us, and also... So you can register for a free book, right, Mark? Absolutely. Two free books to choose from. Yeah, we got two. Two options. So you go there, you can get your free book, and then you'll be on our mailer list um, so that we can send you out important information about the show, updates about the show, and so forth. So I think that's a great thing. And of course, we're on uh, Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on all those different uh, platforms. So plug in with us, and, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, and also, just so you know, just to remind people that our co-host, Mark Griffith, does do uh, children's birthday parties, <laughs> just in case you needed them. Your children. That's right. That's right. So so we are continuing today. We're talking about a lot of things. We have um, our special energy consultant, if you will, someone who's been with us for a long time. Um, Dr. Michael L. Simpson of ORNL is with us, one of the researchers, um, and he's been with us many times before. We want to thank him for coming in today. Well, it's always a pleasure. It's been a while, and it's good to be back with you guys. I tell you, some of y'all don't know Dr. Simpson. He's a big Tennessee fan. Oh, huge. <laughs> oh, man, I tell you. Pride of the Southland band. That's right, and you as well. Oh, yeah. You guys formed the T, correct, at the, on the field. I think that's a, a neat little... Personally, yeah, both of <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a piece of uh, Tennessee history. And another thing is that is in the news back in June, I suppose it was, maybe early July, um, uh, Dr. Simpson and a, and a couple of other researchers were named to the corporate fellows of the Department of Energy, uh, the Oak Ridge National Laboratory. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you so much. It, it was quite the honor and mm-hmm. very happy to uh, get to be part of that that group. And um, it's uh, I tell people all the time, it's kind of a longevity award that mm-hmm. if you just... Uh, stay in science long enough, this kind of thing happens to you. Right, right. that's there's, right. There's yeah. not that many people that, uh, I mean, like 29? 20, yeah, right, there's 29 active corporate of fellows. Of all the engineers that are out there and doctors. That is incredible. It's the highest honor that the lab gives. It's the corporate fellow designation recognizes the researcher's significant accomplishments and continuing leadership in their scientific, engineering, and technology. technological (laughs) fields. Easy for me to say. Um, And your your scientific research falls under which of those categories? Well, all three? You could say that, yeah. Mm -hmm. In the course of the career, I I did a lot of different things, but um, now I I do research in what we call nanoscience. Right. And my research is actually sort of on the boundary between physical nanoscience and biological nanoscience. 
Oh, yes. That's what we're going to... I want to talk a little bit about that. I did a little Googling um, the other day <laughs> when, dangerous. when Mark had told me uh, I probably just got myself in trouble. So that is what... Um, that's what's in the news with Dr. Simpson. And um, that, I think that's really cool. 29 researchers hold that designation. And if I'm not mistaken, I had read that you also um, have another uh, designation, I believe, through another, another association that you have. Or am right. I mistaken? So, yeah, I'm a fellow of the American Association for the Advancement of Science mm-hmm. and of the IEEE, that's the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers, and the American Institute of Medical and Biomedical Engineers. So he has some other designations <laughs> as well. Um, so let's let's take a step back because I would love, even though you've been on the show, you've explained this before, but could you give us, the listener, just the layman maybe, um, what it is that you do? I mean, I know that, that you essentially take whatever resources that you can have that you come up with through the different resources that you have at your disposal and and you do research, (laughs) but um, could you just give us kind of a a brief overview of what you do? Sure. Well, I'll try. (laughs) So, um, you know, my research covers a lot of different areas. You know, I'm interested in nanoscience and particularly how nanoscience interacts with biology. So nanoscience is something to do with the atom, the manipulation of the atoms. Atoms and molecules. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. nano, I was just telling Mark this when we were off air that nano literally means one, one billionth. That's what the, that's what it means. Right. One, one billionth. They don't have a a ruler for that. Right. They don't. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, and we, usually we talk about nanometers. So that's one, one billionth of a meter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, if you think about the chips that are in your computer, Mm-hmm. They've mostly been done with what we call micro technology. And so that's one one millionth. Nano is a thousand times smaller than that. Wow. You know, for the individual devices or transistors or whatever. And that's about the same size as small molecules. So, you know, think about it as being close to the size of a little piece of DNA, close to the size of a protein that does the things that make your body do the things that your body does. Now, is there an instrument where you can view these molecules or? So, so when you're looking at stuff, so use microscopy to look at small stuff and, um, certain kinds of microscopy can let you look at things of a certain size. So if we use light, so the kind of light we see, Mm-hmm. And you can see things that are down, you know, to a, to a little bit less than one micrometer. Okay, so one one millionth of a meter. But if you want to get down to nano, you have to use an electron microscope. And so you can visualize things on the nanometer and even below level using electrons instead of using light. Wow. I mean, that's really something else. And I imagine that these these instruments that you use in your research... I bet you the technology is is kind of evolving all on its own because that's I think hand hand in hand the technology the enhancements in the ability to view these molecules and so forth that's what really drives your research I would imagine yeah and a lot of the instruments that we use at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory if you if you could turn them around and look at the nameplate on the back you'd see they have serial number one or serial number two or serial number three which means they're the first second third fourth instrument ever like that built wow so these are very, very rare instruments. Right. You know, they, they just aren't everywhere. You won't find them in the basement of a researcher from 1980. <laughs> no, and you won't find them on most university campuses, and you won't find them in most, you know, most industrial settings and things like that. So one of the things we do at Oak Ridge is we 
we have those instruments and we make those available to, re- to researchers everywhere. Mm-hmm. So if you're at the you know University of Nebraska and you happen not to have access to those sorts of things, you can come to the Oak Ridge National Laboratory and work with us and have access to those those tools. So so that's one of the things we do is we provide those resources to everybody oh, okay. everywhere. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, and that's right here in our backyard. Yes. And you, you, there's not very many of those around the whole country. Right is what you're saying. That's right. They're very, they're very expensive. Mm-hmm. So like... Uh, well, the, we have money, so... So at the Center for <laughs> Nanophase Material Sciences, where, where I work at, at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, I bought the, what we call an e-beam writer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it tells you about microscopy. That's looking at something that's really small. We also have a thing that's like that, except it's in reverse. It makes things that are really small. And we call that an e-beam writer, mm-hmm. e-beam lithography tool. Wow. So I placed the purchase order for that tool when we bought it. It was $5 million. Ooh. Talk about a shaky hand when you sign a purchase order. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, so. Wow. And I thought me doing the no tax weekend at the Apple store was, <laughs> was tight. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that was, a, that was an exciting time. The, yeah. You may have heard of the neutron source that they have at Oak Ridge. It's called the Spallation Neutron Source. Yes. Yes. So I have neutrons, heard of that. <laughs> so neutrons are another way of looking at really small things. Mm-hmm. And it's things, you can look at things with neutrons that are very hard to see with x-rays. Okay, here's a question for the person that's, because most of the people that are listening don't understand this, and I'm one of them. I understand the the outside parts of it, but why is it that we want to study small things? <laughs> well, because uh, to make things, to make big things that do all the things you want them to do, mm-hmm. you have to start putting them together at the smallest possible scale and then build up. Mm-hmm. Now, if I make a big thing, but I haven't really designed it and made it from the smallest scale up, then I only have so much control over its properties. Okay. But if I can start from the very bottom scale and then build it exactly the way I want to from the very bottom up, I can give it properties that it wouldn't have had otherwise. Now, does nanotechnology involve um, biomatter? It can, right? So nano just tells you about the size. Mm-hmm. So if we if we say something's nano, we're just talking about a the size of right? it, right? We're going to start at sort of the molecular level, mm-hmm. and then you can do bio nanosciences where you make made soft matter basically from the ground up from the from the molecular level up so you're trying i mean this is i mean don't excuse my way of talking about this but this is kind of what god did at the beginning some might argue Mm -hmm. taking the very smallest thing and creating it and certainly you're not trying to replicate god's work certainly but to understand what we have as humans have what we've been given if we can understand i mean i I believe strongly that god would want us to Mm -hmm. explore and understand all that he has given us. And so you're understanding it just at the very root, like day one, you know, type of stuff. I mean, it's amazing. Just to give you an example, uh, there's a set of genes that um, are in all kinds of different organisms. You have them, horses have them, fruit flies have them. I have guess. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> they're called they're called the Hox genes, H O X Hox genes, and there's eight of them. Mm-hmm. And there's eight of them in each thing, right? There's okay. eight of these genes that interact with each other, mm-hmm. and th- you have the same, basically, the same Hox genes as a horse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I knew it. I knew it. Okay. 
And so why why do some things with those eight hox genes turn out to be people and some things with those eight hox genes turn out to be horses? Mm-hmm. Basically has to do with what happens on this molecular level. So it's mm-hmm. what I was telling you earlier that if you can start from that smallest level, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can put whatever functionality you want into the material. So is there any way that we could build a human from a nanobio technology standpoint? Is well, that even possible? I mean, that's yeah, that's pretty far, far flung, far fetched. I mean, you know, that probably really that probably takes you more off into like you know, so the cloning world and and that sort of. Stuff. Cause I know we can clone people. That's pretty easy. I mean, well, we're doing that all over. The that's place. never been demonstrated, right? But that sheep. Yeah, you can do it with sheep. Okay, but if you can do it with a sheep, I don't think it survived either. Yeah. Huh? Well, Dolly survived a long time. Did it? They did it with a cow here at UT, and you know, so there's there's been lots of animals that have been cloned. Mm-hmm. But and that that's separate. That's not at all what you are talking about. That, no, we kind of got off on so, a tangent. So you're talking about uh, I'm, cloning the best UT football player, and let's get that's it. where I was going with this. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, well, do you yeah, remember so the movie? You remember the? I, I know this is far fetched, but this is interesting to me. But you know, remember the movie Weird Science, right? Do you remember that movie where they created, I think it was Kelly. uh, Oh yeah. Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah. 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 So they created this, this Mm -hmm. person. And so, I mean, it's always been in people's minds, like in the way back side of their mind, this has been a popular thing of American culture where you can create things just like that. Mm -hmm. Um, This, this really though, um, when you look at nanoscience, those type of things, obviously they're far fetched, but, but, Ultimately, like if you look at Star Trek, when they when they take Scotty from the Earth or the the planet up to up to the the ship, I mean, does that have something to do with with um, the changing of one's molecular structure to get them down? I mean, those things are possible, are they not? Or am I mistaken? Well, I mean, once again, that's that's far fetched thing. I mean, they're you know what yeah. what they're doing there is they're saying, oh, we're going to take we're going to take your matter and turn it into energy and then we're going to transmit the energy and then we're going to turn that energy back into matter. We can't do that. Uh, no, no, (laughs) no. Well, what about, okay. So quantum physics, Uh um, being that you're a researcher in nanotechnology, Mm -hmm. you are, I'm sure very familiar with quantum physics, quantum physics, correct? In the next segment, we're not going to get into too much more of this, but I, I love this because I think people are interested in it. And I loved uh, the Quantum Leap show. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? <laughs> Where he would leap into different generations. Mm-hmm. But I do want to get into transportation. I'd love to talk a little bit about that. And also, I'd love to talk to you and get your perspective. And since we've been full circle here, Mark, you know how we talked with Dr. Simpson um, just before Dr. Um, I think he actually linked us up with our gentleman from ORNL. From ORNL and from uh, DOE, but uh, Mike came in and we kind of summarized right. what we learned. Right. So since we've had so many other guests and we've we've talked a yep. bunch with Scott Higgins, we'll kind of come back full circle and talk more about that as well yep. because I think we have some exciting things. And I personally am going through that whole um, revamping my thermal envelope, so we'll talk more about that as well. We have Dr. Simpson with us from ORNL, and we'll be right back after these messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. 
Welcome back into the Housing Hour. Again, it's Kevin Ray. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our co-host and executive producer, and Dr. Simpson from ORNL. He's one of the researchers and uh, newly designated fellows of the, of the ORNL. And before we do move on here, do you need to tell you guys about a quick company that we really like and talk about quick, they get things done quick. It's Admiral Title. Admiral Title, they do an excellent job taking care of our customers. And if you can just imagine a 400-meter race, the the joint team race where they have to hand off the baton, that's exactly what we do. When we hand off the baton to them, they take it and they run with it. And they close the deal seamlessly, quickly, and there's never any worries. And they're, they're doing that all the time. They take care of of it. We're closing loans in sometimes two weeks, and they take care of our customers. So if you're a realtor, a lender, or even if you're a person out there that is buying a home cash, I would highly recommend using Admiral Title, 865-531-6060. All right, so we're back in here with the Housing Hour. We have Dr. Michael Simpson with us, and uh, not too far in the future, we've got the Big Orange playing. What, what, do, you, what do you think seven and four is possible? That would be a successful season, right? If they yeah, right. did that well, you'd have to feel good about them. <laughs> yeah, well, I know because my seats sometimes were like, I think, in maybe R. So I could see you and Mark over an O. Mm-hmm. And I could see, because I sat with you one time, <laughs> and I know you're giving it to them. Because sometimes when it's simple, because where you guys sit, you can really see what the problems are. So you guys are doing some... some... I think you could sit anywhere and see what the problems are. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it. It was so much fun sitting with you guys, because you know you, you could really understand it from kind of really from a, from a molecular level. <laughs> so... Um, when we went to break, we were talking about a lot of different things, talking about what Dr. Simpson does um, in nanotechnologies. And is nanotechnologies actually the right term for uh, kind of the wide angle look at this? Right. So if you're, if you're doing sort of fundamental research, you call it nanoscience. Mm-hmm. And if you're making things, then it would be nanotechnology. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like, for instance, Bell Telephone Laboratories, they are involved in this technology. I mean, there's many different researchers, I'm sure, all around the world. But people are looking to figure out how it is that they can implement technology into the industry that they are in. Um, so it depends on how much you know research and development a company might use. But are there companies that actually have R&D going on in nanoscience? Yeah, sure. There's quite a few companies, you know, and certainly some of the bigger players like IBM. Mm. went into to nanoscience and nanotechnology research in a big way from the very beginning. Wow. And the kinds of things that are showing up in computer chips and technology. Ah, see. Disk drive, uh, storage. You might you might remember, wow, if you used to have a 10 meg disk drive, that was a lot of memory. And uh-huh. now, now, you know, you've got disk drives that are so big. That that was really a nanoscience breakthrough. That, that That's that incredible. Possible. Well, I mean, yeah, that's amazing because a 32 gig card you know, think about how much that holds. And I'm talking a micro disc card now. And all of that is expanding so much. Mike, is there an application for this in the energy future of our country? Yeah, I mean, one of, probably one of the biggest applications in the energy side. Well, there's a couple, but, but certainly on the, on the sort of the energy production and storage side and things like that, energy storage, battery technology. Oh, boy, that's... Yeah, so battery technology is one of the biggest issues right now. So the big problem with renewable energies is that they're hard to put on the grid, right? you know, because they're intermittent, right? The wind doesn't always blow. The sun doesn't always shine. And so, you know, what, what's the old saying? If it's after four, you have to store. So if it's after uh-huh. four o'clock, you've got to, you know, you need a storage that you can get into to get the solar energy out. 
So battery technology is a big deal. It's a big deal for interfacing renewable technologies to the grid, and it's it's a big deal for making um, you know electrical vehicles mm-hmm. reliable and and feasible and affordable. And they're not really any of those things at this point. I mean, well, they're they're, they're coming. They're, they're coming. They're along. certainly close. I mean, you know, Tesla is certainly getting somewhere, and they mm-hmm. just signed a deal with Panasonic for big battery plant, you know, the, what they call the giga battery plant. Wow. But, but it's going to be a Panasonic car? No, it's going to be a Panasonic oh. battery. It's going to be oh. a Tesla car. Wow. So, you know, Tesla already makes a very successful car. I mean, it was, it was, um, uh, the car magazine. What is it? Roden. Yeah. Yeah. They, they Roden driver. Yeah. They, they, they named it the sort of number one vehicle in the world a year or so ago. No kidding. Well, well what about, yeah. what about it's the power a six- grid? Is there any, any, uh, future for storing energy on the power grid. That, that's the whole idea. The whole idea is is that, so, so right now, if you try to store renewable energy, you know, there's a couple of feasible ways to do it. One of the things they do is, is they pump water uphill. So you take solar energy, wind energy, or whatever, and you pump water uphill, and then when the sun goes down or the wind stops oh. blowing, you let the water come back down. Right, right, okay? right. You can compress air in a cave, you know, so you can use that to compress air in a cave. But, you know, those are kinds of niche technologies it's not the big solution and so the big solution are things like what they call flow batteries you know flow cells you know battery technology things of that fuel cells things of that nature where you could take the renewable energy put it into these storage formats and then you know let the energy out on the grid in a more continuous way instead of in this intermittent way that that makes it hard to make renewable energy feasible on the grid as it exists right now yeah, because some of these technologies, you are still having to, you know, exhaust energy to have the technology, like the cars, like my my sister had. Um, you know, it, it ran partly on fuel mm-hmm. and then partly on on you know electric energy. So, but she's still having to charge the car through the home, which is taking energy. Is draining energy from the home, right? Well, it's not draining energy energy from the home. It's taking energy straight off from, the grid. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, and there, and there's some real benefits to that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you know, for True. example, right now, let's say we suddenly find a you know new combustion engine that's a lot cleaner or technology for cleaning it. You don't actually get that cleaning effect introduced until people you know buy cars. So you have to go through a whole generation of car buying, and before that gets out there. But if you have electric cars and somebody figures out how to make power plants cleaner, then immediately the whole transportation fleet gets cleaner because mm-hmm. because the generation of power got cleaner. Mm-hmm. So there's some there's some big advantages to do. Right. I think we actually talked about that a little bit at one point. That's a good point. So energy, you think, could um, have some advances. And I know that there are some other things, too, that we talked about and i think that we see in the technologies that we've talked through um like for instance the solar power you you mentioned that and there's there's some study i think being done about how they can improve the solar panel and nanoscience is involved in that Mm -hmm. using um quantum confinement you know can happen in one two or three dimensions i have no idea what i'm talking about (laughs) (laughs) but but the the technology that quantum physics i think uncovered they think theoretically possibly the quantum dots adding those into the solar panels Mm -hmm. could enhance the ability to 50 to 60 percent more capacity yeah so you lose energy so when the solar energy comes into a solar panel 
you only absorb part of that energy. Right. Okay. And there's sort of two reasons. One reason is, is, is a lot of it just gets reflected away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it hits and it just bounces off. Okay. And the other problem you get is, is stuff that's just not absorbed. So if you, if you took a plant, if you looked at a plant and it absorbs solar energy, mm-hmm. and it actually sort of takes all that solar energy or, or a very wide spectrum of it and absorbs it. But our semiconductor technology really only takes a little slice of it. Mm. And so what, what nanoscience does is it, first of all, it perhaps lets us make things where not so much gets reflected. So, you know, kind of what we call an anti-reflective coating. And then it makes, allows us to make things that absorbs mo- more of the solar energy and turn that into electrical energy. Wow. So it, it gives you sort of, you know, allows you at least an opportunity to try to do both of those things. So what do you say to people who, because I think about the research that was done in the 60s and the 70s, and it kind of, through technology, has benefited humanity greatly. Um, so some people say, well, they're doing a lot of research, but what exactly are we getting out of it? And and that's just ignorance is what it is. But the, the research and the things that we discovered in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, um, what are some of the things that you could say today, if you can even answer this, that we are benefiting from that was discovered? Because it takes years for this technology to kind of come full circle. You might you might research it and understand it, you know, but it may take a few years to get it out there into the free market or like IBM, get it into the chips and so forth. Yeah, so something like uh, close to three quarters of our gross domestic product is based on things that grew out of fundamental research. There you go. So, I mean, it's like if you took away all of the things that happen in fundamental research, you literally don't have an economy in, in, in this country or any developed country for that matter. So you're saying it has a small significance. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> so if you don't care about things like jobs or money or economies, it's really no big deal. Right, okay. right. But let's just give an example. So let's talk. Everybody, everybody loves the internet. Everybody has, who knows? Thank goodness for Al Gore. Yeah, (laughs) no telling how many different electrical devices, electronic devices they've got that have IP addresses. You know, their cell phone, their laptop. Mm -hmm. You know, all kinds of things like that. Apple wouldn't be here if it wasn't for right. So, so let's talk about how did that happen? Okay, so well, that was based on. Uh, semiconductor technology, mm-hmm. the ability to make transistors. Well, where did that come from? Well, that came from our understanding of the electronic structure of materials that allows you to take silicon mm-hmm. and start making transistors out of it. Well, mm-hmm. where did that understanding of materials, the electron properties of materials come from? Well, it came from, you've already said it, it came from quantum mechanics. Mm-hmm. So we I did say it. We developed a quantum <laughs> mechanical understanding, which then allowed us to understand how electrons behave mm-hmm. in these materials. Okay. Well, where did that come from? Well, you know, literally around the turn of not this last century, but the century before that, the turn from the 19th to the 20th century, there were a bunch of physicists, including Albert Einstein, who started to notice that things behave differently than what people thought they should behave. And they started trying to understand electrons and electrons and materials and things like that. And then quantum mechanics was born. So, you know, you have a bunch of physicists, mathematician types doing things that nobody in the public understood. And if you'd ask people right then that very second, why are we doing this? They wouldn't have a clue. Mm. They could have just thought it was a waste of time by a bunch of professors sitting in offices somewhere. But they developed that understanding of materials. And then from that understanding of materials in the in the 40s, 
Mm-hmm. At Bell Laboratory. Oh, that okay. Yeah, in the forties. So, so this uh, most of this happened. So, under the understanding happened in the in the early nineteen hundreds up through the nineteen twenties, mm-hmm. and then sometime in the nineteen forties, Shockley and Bardeen and and that that group of people at Bell Laboratories developed the first transistor. Mm-hmm. And then, some, well, even even if you think about the end of World War II. I mean, obviously, there was a technology that came from this research and development, right? There was, there was a laboratory at, at MIT called the Lincoln Laboratory, the, the Rad Lab, mm-hmm. what they called the Rad Lab. And, and pretty much everything that has developed from communications came out of the, the Rad Lab at MIT from, from world, for the World War II efforts. Of course, the other big World War II effort <laughs> happened at Oak Ridge, right? right? Okay, and Los and, Alamos, right. Los Alamos, and and Hanford, and a bunch of other places. But you know, our ability to harness the the energy in atoms, mm-hmm. which of course has all kinds of peaceful uses, right? I mean, we've got nuclear power plants, we've got nuclear medicine, you know, you, you name it. We have radiation therapy, mm-hmm. we have imaging, you know, medical imaging technology, and all of those sorts of things. All of that came out of fundamental research with people starting at the very ground floor of let me understand what's going on. Mm. And then later on, another group of people came in and said, maybe I can do something with this new understanding. And then transistors were developed in the 40s. The late 50s integrated circuits were developed. And then the space program had a huge effect on basically saying, okay, can we take this integrated circuit technology? Can we make guidance systems? Can we can we really start to build this stuff? The internet started as something called ARPANET. ARPANET was the Advanced Research Projects Agency that's run by the federal government. It's it's actually closely associated with defense. In fact, now it's called DARPA. They put when it, they went ahead and put the D in there, so it's mm-hmm. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. The internet started as ARPANET in the late 1960s and was nursed through a lot of time of not going anywhere. Hmm. And then it bloomed into this huge... It wasn't Al Gore? (laughs) No, it wasn't Al Gore. Well, that is really, really amazing information. And when we get to the other side of this break, I do want to ask you a couple of questions about what you just told us, because that was a really good series of pieces of information. We're going to tackle that and much more in our last segment with Dr. Simpson. It's been our absolute joy to have him as usual. And we'll see you right, right in just a moment. Come back in just a moment. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. It's again Kevin Ray with you with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host, and Dr. Michael Simpson with ORNL. I want to tell you guys about a very important person uh, for the Housing Hour, and he is our ener- energy auditor, basically, extraordinaire, um, and that is Scott Higgins with Prudent Energy Systems. And he came out, he did Mark's house last year and sealed it up for him, found out where his thermal boundary was leaking, and then came in and did the solution, uh, which was to to knit up, if you will, or to patch up um, the thermal boundary. So now he has come out to my house, and he has done the 
audit. He has discovered the things that need to be fixed. And so now we're in negotiations. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're implementing the solutions and we have a time picked out and uh, I can't wait to see how it works for us. Um, and it's just been a real easy process. Scott does it very well. He has an assistant. They just knock it out. And so do the energy audit first. He's going to tell you where you're leaking, why it is that you're um, uncomfortable in certain areas of your house and it doesn't keep at an even uh, temperature. It's very important because the first thing, if you want to get involved with technology for solar or any type of other technology, the first thing that you need to do is an energy audit. Make sure your house is sealed because if you don't, you're basically going to be throwing money away, which you're probably doing anyway because your thermal boundary is broken. He said it was the equivalent at my house is having two windows wide open. Mm -hmm. And that's what everybody I say. And so Christy Ray, the president of our company, is going to be having her audit done. She listened to the show. She felt it was important enough for her to do it. And we want you to do it as well. So go to thehousinghour.com. You can see the Prudent Energy seal right there on our website. Click on it. And you can give Scott a call, and we have the information for. And you. I just had a breach on my uh, my thermal boundary Uh-oh. from a groundhog, so I have to call Varmint <laughs> Buster out to get him out of my. You uh, did have space. a breach. I did, but the thermal boundary isn't at the crawl space door. It's not. So you were just making it's that not. up. I'm just making that. Up. Okay. Sound good. <laughs> well, <clears throat> you've gotten good with this. Exactly. Stuff. I'm always talking about thermal boundaries, <laughs> and when my kids leave the door open, I always say, and they say, "We know, Dad, thermal boundary." <laughs> so anyway, we're talking to Doctor Simpson, and before we went to break, you went about two minutes, and it was just chuck full of good stuff, and. I think the essence of what I took away from it was, you know, because I heard you say $5 million microscope or whatever tool. And, you know, at first I'm like, oh, my heavens, what's my tax dollars doing? Of course, it doesn't come from my tax dollars. You have your own resources. But, you know, people who no, look. it came from your tax okay. dollars. <laughs> all right, all right. I mean, let's, let's, <laughs> let's face it. The way it is. You're right. <laughs> so, so, but when, when I hear that, though, and people hear that, they think, oh, my goodness, you know, it's more R&D, you know, research and development. Well, you just heard Dr. Simpson talk about three quarters of our GDP are related to that type of technology. And he took us through a, like a little quick history of where we got to now, yes. where we were. And the question I have is, are we making greater advancements now than we did back then? Because when you start mentioning Albert Einstein and all the things that happened with Ernest Lawrence, Edward Teller, and all those guys, Fermi, mm -hmm. um, are we doing that now? Or is it, is it better now? Unfair question. I mean, look what well, we can I mean, do, that's, though. That's a tough question. See, you know, when I told you that story, I was telling it to you in retrospect, right? Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, is twenty twenty, right? So, mm -hmm. and now you're. If asking, it's not, you have the laser surgery, you right? Can get it exactly. There. Yeah, he's now, got that equipment there. Right? <laughs> and now, and now you're asking me, are are we doing things now that are going to turn out to be that big? And you're we're looking for you to, to look at your peers yeah. and yourself. And I, and I mean, that's that's really tough, right? If if we knew who the winners were going to be, oh, wouldn't life be so simple when mm -hmm. it came to funding R&D and things like that? But but we don't. Right. It, we, we really don't. And I mean, there is some reason to worry. Uh, something, a, a book that I'm going to recommend to you guys and everybody else is this book called The Great Stagnation. Yeah. You heard about it? Yes, I have. It's a really small book. It's a fast read. You can read it in a day, probably, you know, an, uh, an afternoon. And the point of the Great Stagnation was it was looking at sort of the, the Great Recession, but from a completely different point of view, not a, oh, we had a housing bust and a dead overhang and all this sort of stuff, and we had a Great Recession. It looked at it from a more systemic point of view of, of like, was this something that was really building for a very, very long time, and is it due to, to you know, 
deeper forces than just those forces that were easy to identify. And the one that the, the thing that he points out in the great stagnation is is maybe we aren't making technological advances as fast as we used to. Now, I don't think I think that's what that's pointing out to you is is they're harder to make, right? That back before quantum mechanics was discovered, you could make a huge difference by discovering quantum mechanics, you know? Right. And now you've got the the low hanging fruit is is been harvested. Right, because look at what you can do. There's an app for that. It's become just a normal, everyday thing. There's an app for that. I can control from my phone my temperature of my home. I can look at the cameras around my house. I can control the TV that is in any of my rooms. I mean, but that was all based upon what you talked about, the semiconductor technology that was discovered back in the early 20s, right? Right. So if you you kind of look, you know, if you took a long view of history and you sort of said, okay, when... When did things really change, you know? So mm-hmm. certainly, you know, there was discoveries of fire and will and things like that. But you would have long time. It took periods. a long time after they discovered fire. Right. I think right. the, the printing <laughs> press was the biggie. The printing press, right. Mm-hmm. So, and, and You've been to Spaceship Earth at Disney World. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, steam. <laughs> I've got my history. Yeah. Steam power and then, right. and then the Industrial Revolution. There, you know, there were sort of long time periods for those revolutions to come sure. out. Sure. I mean, you know, at one time, 98% of the people in this country worked in producing food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, right. now 2% of the people in this country work in producing food. And my older yeah. teenager just eats it. He just eats it, right. Yeah. So 98% of the people. Yeah. Consumers. Yeah. So, uh, and then, and then these revolutions started coming kind of closer together, right? I mean, radio, TV, and nuclear power, and semiconductor technology, and all those sorts of things were just bam, 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 bam. Tang. Tang. Is yeah. it is it because of opiates were discovered? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to put a finger on why, because... 2000, I mean, however, whatever side of the fence you fall on, I mean, we've been around here for a while, regardless. But why is it that we just discovered all, a lot of this stuff in the last 200 years? Well, it's because things build on each other, right? Okay. I mean, you know, once you had computer technology, suddenly computer technology was very instrumental in the next breakthrough and the next breakthrough and the next breakthrough. So, right. so you get more efficient at making breakthroughs as you create more technology. Mm-hmm. So the great stagnation, the book, the stagnation so, talks about that. Yeah. And what the, but, but the premise of the book is, is that we really haven't had a big revolution since information technology. You know, oh. what is the big thing? Well, the Herms Kaufman thing that, what is it called? That was over in um, Switzerland. The hers, the hers, the Higgins, all oh, the large hadron collider. Yeah, but yeah. you know, you discover the Higgs boson. What? How does that then fuel an economic? Right. Yeah. You know, it's like I, I you know, oh, I, we know how the oh, it's the glue that keeps right. the universe together. Big right. deal. Right. Okay. So. <laughs> Giving back to the GDP is what yeah. you're saying. How does it right. contribute? Right. Back? Right. Right. So you know, there. Ha- it, my sense is is that energy technology will be it. Okay, mm-hmm. so so you say okay, oh, why, okay. Why why were the fifties such a such a great decade for economic growth? And that's basically because we were putting a washing machine and a yeah, range and, and building wow, you know yeah. suburbs and all that sort of stuff. And so we kept every, a lot of executive orders. We kept everybody <laughs> busy, you know. And and of course the the uh, the military 
complex grew up in that decade mm-hmm. too. And it's called the golden age of capitalism. Right. Mm-hmm. So we we had something to keep everybody busy doing and something for them to then buy. You know, mm-hmm. they all wanted to move to the suburbs and buy that stove and buy that washing machine and all that sort of stuff. And so that fueled that big economic boom. Then, you know, in in the late 90s, early 2000s, same thing happened with information technology, right? Is is that we everybody mm. wanted all the information technology, all the businesses had to had to reconstruct themselves right around mm-hmm. information. Okay. What's driving that right now? What does everybody have to buy and everybody have to have and everybody you know, need energy. Yeah. Well, right. yeah, that's, that's true. That, so that's my sense is right, right now it's not really happening, but if it's going to happen it, again, I think it's going to be energy. So you think it's energy in the relation that it's going to be power, how to store it is, isn't that going to be the big driving force? How can we harness it and store it? Uh, harness it, store it, use it more efficiently. I think I, ta- I, I, I think it was on this program one time where I mentioned that 50% of all yes. the energy we produce is rejected. Yes. That was in August of 2012. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> that you told us that. So, so think about what that means. Yeah, I, I mean, so some, cute. some of it is, is, is actually built up in the fundamental thermodynamics. There's a thing called the Carnot cycle and those can only be so efficient. So right. you don't want to hear all the details. No, I do. So you can't get all of that energy, mm-hmm. but a lot of it is literally just thrown away so mm-hmm. when you no. said that because right, no. i remember that and we talked about that on the show and that's what kept us pushing the energy efficiency and home series forward and that's why we found these energy auditors and started sealing our house because all the loss now i know that doesn't fix it mm-hmm. but it's a start right it's a start yeah absolutely Th- that the housing hour is on the final frontier We're on right. the, we are looking we picked it we are expanding the universe by talking to people just like you mm-hmm. and you know dr simpson i'm sorry i cut you off but i was just going to say do you think that the thing that's holding us back the most is um, the inability to be able to get from where we want to go is 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 energy limitations. I mean, really? Oh, it definitely is. You can you can plot countries, you can plot their GDP per capita versus the amount of energy they have access wow. to, and it's a straight line. Right. Wow! So the more energy you get, you can get your hands on, the bigger your gross domestic. domestic Do you think that the um, the footprint, the the what is it carbon? called, the carbon footprint legislation will hamper that or potentially help that? Well, the carbon footprint thing has got. I mean, listen, you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and some of the things that have happened in energy in the last little bit have have actually helped. So the natural gas boom. Yeah, it's, it's so much cleaner to burn natural gas than it is to burn coal. Right. So we're burning much less coal than we I, used. To. I know. Why don't we? Why don't we pour money into to um, natural gas technology and make the engines use natural gas? It just seems like a no brainer. Right. Uh, well, the first use for it is to replace coal burning. Right. So you you okay? Uh, it's not clear to me that that's going to be the answer for transportation. I mean, mm-hmm. I think. I think the 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 answer for transportation. If I had to bet right now, I'd say the answer for transportation is going to be a liquid biofuel and an electric, you know, elect, a liquid biofuel adjunct to an electric, like a hybrid type of situation, like, like the Chevy Volt, but using a biofuel in, mm-hmm. instead of gasoline. That would be my guess is where we're going to get. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to turn out to be the right answer. But that's just a guess. Right. No, I think it's a good guess. But didn't we change in the Farm Act or Agricultural Act it passed this earlier this year um, 
where the um, some of the subsidies for the corn and things for biofuels yeah, so were re- re- reduced? Corn is a hard, you know, I'm, I'm about to make a very political statement, but it's scientifically based. Corn is an awful fu- uh, uh, bio uh, source for biofuels. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just bad. It barely breaks even. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you really need to get... And it causes farmers to, for, you know, basically just, build, you know, grow corn. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you're, and you're displacing the food crop. I mean, there's all kinds yeah. of reasons why it's just bad. You know, what you, you've got to get to making biofuels out of switchgrass, uh, you know, other biofuels. Switchgrass, yeah. Like Harvey Abelada, and uh, yeah. they're doing that technology up, uh, I guess, at Wamplers, at Wamplers yeah. Yeah. Sausage is, is based on switch, yeah. switchgrass as well. So you've got, you've got to get to better sources. You've got to get to things that grow on, on marginal farmland, not things that grow on pure farmland like corn. And the chip machine—that's what it was. The chip the, machine yeah. that they create does the switchgrass. I think it actually can just take any kind of biomass, pretty much. Yes, if can. I understand it, it correctly. biomass could that be the remains of like a do, pig? They do pig remains in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they literally, absolutely, literally. Somebody just, told me that wasn't true, and I said, "I'm going to ask Dr. Simpson. I think it is true. I'm pretty sure that is true. They, they yeah. I think because that, they slaughter the pigs, they create the sausage, and right now what they're doing is they're selling those those remains. To somebody who God knows what they're doing with. I mean, not anything. They're putting them in a the hot dog. Well, <laughs> well, I'm talking about like the bone and so forth. Oh. I mean, they may have that. In he's some he's of those. right. They're putting <laughs> them in a hot dog. Yeah, exactly. But but basically, they they could use that that biomass to fuel the energy of the building, and that's what they're doing. It's that's amazing right. technology. Yeah, there's energy tied up in all those all of all of that biomaterial. There's energy tied up in it. Yeah, well, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming in and kind of schooling us a little bit and talking to us about. I wanted to ask you your thoughts about Albert Einstein. But we'll have to save that one for the next show. <laughs> we want to thank everybody who came in and listened. Don't forget, go to thehousinghour.com. Share this on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Pinterest, on Google Plus, all that stuff, because we need you guys to help us get the word out. We're on the final frontier, and we'll see you next week right here on The Housing Hour. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and the why not. You need to know, so come here to find out. This program is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.